I do hope that you're planning on coming to the potluck in a little while. That will be a blessing. And I'm looking forward to it. I also hope that you are planning to come next Sunday. And I want you to listen to the time. Like we have, we've kind of, of uh, limped along here or stuttered along in terms of choosing when it is that our prayer time, our all-church prayer time next Sunday is going to happen. Originally, I'd schedule it for today, and then somebody said, well, you know, we've got the potluck here, maybe we shouldn't have it on that day, so then we kind of rescheduled it for the 26th, and we announced it for 6 p.m., and then someone said, well, that's not the best time. And so we're going to have the the prayer time, and this is the final version. There will be no discussion of it after this. We're going to have it at 1 p.m. next Sunday, November 26th, here at the building, we're going to have an all-church prayer time, November 26th, 1 p.m. next week. Okay? So I hope that you come. We have been asking people to pray for a while now. We've focused on prayer for the beginning of the fall. We've said that we're going to pray during the months of November and December, and we've asked for people to pray for 15 minutes a day. We have a template on the website that kind of shows you how you could even do that. Uh, there are people who've been saying... Oh, I've been praying for 15 minutes a day and it's been absolutely wonderful with great blessings coming into my life because of that prayer time. So I really encourage you to take that opportunity. It's never too late to start. So if you didn't start praying for 15 minutes a day at the beginning of November, uh, you could, of course, start today and start praying. And if you can't do 15 minutes, do whatever you can. But I think you can do 15 minutes. And God will bless you if you take that time to pray to him. So please do. 15 minutes a day of prayer uh, through the months of November and December. And God will bless us for sure. And then we'll come back next Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock. Since this, I was going to say, if you're in the first service, but you're you're not. This is the second service. So it's just second service. Run out real quick. Get some fast food if you're starving to death. Come back at 1 and pray. Or just put it off and say, I can wait till the prayer time is over before I eat. Either way. We're going to be satisfied with, but we definitely want you to be here one o'clock next Sunday to pray. Speaking of which, let's do that right now. Lord, I'd pray that you'd bless us in the next few minutes. That the time we spend will be a time that, that causes us to focus on who you are, causes you to us to focus on who you are in our lives, that you'll be present and bless our time of focus on you specifically through the word. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Today, we want to talk about kind of a further aspect of what we've been doing with spirituality. When you pray, hopefully, when you're praying, it's a spiritual exercise. That you're not just so distracted by other things that you're able to focus and give your attention to God. And the Holy Spirit is there, part of your prayer as you pray. And that God blesses you with this intensely spiritual experience when you pray, we're just going to continue that mode of thinking and move on toward more spirituality as we finish out the fall here, specifically today, asking questions about or thinking about what it means to worship, what it means to praise, what it means to pray in the context of worship, and then for God to bless us in the midst of praying and worshiping with his presence. And we want to start by saying something like this, worship And the presence of God with us and in us cannot be separated. You can't take the presence of God away from worship and still have worship. 
If God isn't with us, if he isn't here this morning when we offer our hearts and our lives to him in worship, if he's not here with us, if the Holy Spirit isn't present, then it's not really worship. And instead, and the opposite of that, of course, is that we are in his presence. And so this morning, while we're worshiping, while we're singing, while we're praying, while we're praying for babies, while we are singing Jesus loves me in whatever language it is that Jonathan might want us to sing it in, while we read scripture together, God is present here this morning with his spirit, filling our hearts and our lives, helping us to devote ourselves completely to him. God wants that from us, and he wants it from us in spades. He wants that richly to be part of our lives. And we're going to look at this this morning. I want you to turn to John chapter 4, if you would. John chapter 4, we're going to read verses 10 through 26 to begin here. It's on page 752 in the Pew Bibles, if you happen to be looking in the Pew Bible. John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is well known to most of us, the story of the woman at the well. And she says some things that are pretty well known to us when it comes to worship. We're going to talk about some of that. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, and this is after they've started their conversation. She's a little bit incredulous that he would even talk to her as a Jew, and she's a Samaritan, and they don't really get along, but she's talking to him, and he's talking to her, and it kind of surprises her. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Well, that's interesting. Living water. What, you know, what in the world is that? Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And I'm not sure she really gets it yet. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water well enough to eternal life. It's a different kind of water. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I don't think she gets it yet. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. What a strange thing to say. They're talking about water. And all of a sudden he says, apparently out of the blue, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's interesting. She's talking about water. And then Jesus hits her right between the eyes with a comment about her husband And then she doesn't want any part of that, so she goes right to worship again. Let's talk about Samaritans and Jews. Let's not talk about my husband. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming... And has now come, and that's important, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. 
Well, she's got a couple of questions that are on her mind or that she kind of raises here. Things that she's interested in. The first one is this discussion about Jews and Samaritans. And really what she's asking when it comes to the question of, question is, who's right here? I want to know who's right when it comes to worship. That's her first question. I'm not sure Jesus likes that very much, but that's her question. And then she says, where should worship take place? Which is really a question about worship forms. I want to know where this should happen. Should it happen on the mountain? Should it happen in the temple? What's correct about worship? And of course, Jesus famously answers that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, which is kind of like her evading him when he wants to talk about her husband and she just wants to take the question to worship. He wants to talk about spirit and in truth and she wants to talk about mountains and temples and what worship's supposed to look like. And so several things need to be said here. First is the idea that spirit and truth in worship cannot be separated into two questions. And this is what we often do. A lot of times when we read this passage where it says true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth, we say the true worshipers need to be worshiping in spirit and the true worshipers need to be worshiping in truth. As if these two things are two separate things. And what's interesting is that in Greek, that doesn't really work. One of the things that we like to talk about when we look at John chapter 3 is the fact that when we're referring to baptism and the water birth and the spirit birth, we like to talk about the fact that these two are joined very closely together. There's a Greek grammatical construction that says we're born of the water and the spirit. And it doesn't mean you're born of the water and you're born of the spirit. What it means is you're born of the water spirit. It's almost as if instead of an and in between, you have a slash in between. It's a water spirit kind of birth. And the same kind of construction is used here in talking about worship. It's not a true worship or a spirit worship. It's a true spirit worship. It's as if truth and spirit are separated with a slash instead of with an and. And so we are to worship in spirit and truth, but it's more like we are to worship in spirit truth. That close together. It's not two questions. It's one. And so when we get to thinking about truth and asking questions about worship specifically, and this is exactly what the woman does. You worship on the mountain or you worship in Jerusalem. And she wants to talk about forms and places and times. And Jesus is trying to say, that's not the question about worship that we need to be asking. And in the same way, when we focus on the truth question and we think that when we're going to talk about truth and worship, we're going to talk about where and we're going to talk about when and we're going to talk about how and we're going to talk about acts of worship and activities of worship and actions of worship, that somehow that answers the truth question about worship. And it doesn't. That's not really the issue. Jesus, when he says that we're supposed to worship truly, or with true worship, he's certainly not focused on forms and activities and acts. In fact, he doesn't mention any of those things here. In fact, there's only one place before this, before verse 23, where Jesus actually talks about something that's true. 
And that's in verse 15, where Jesus specifically says to her, you have spoken truly when you have said something like, I have no husband. And what's the point? The point is that true worship has to do with all of life. True worship is the question of whether or not your life matches up with your worship. The question is not, are we worshiping in a true way when we gather this morning? The question is, are you a person of truth when you worship him this morning? And that's what Jesus was most concerned about when it comes to talking to this woman about worship that is spirit and truth. Looking for a specific pattern of worship to follow on Sunday morning, because we think we are supposed to worship in truth, is actually to do with worship exactly what Jesus is here teaching against. Because the moment we concern ourselves with all the forms and the places and the times and the pattern and the activities and what this looks like, all of a sudden we've missed the real question of truth and what is true about worship. What's true about worship is when your heart and your life, your mind and soul and strength and everything about you is devoted to the Lord. That's what true worship is. True worship is not a matter of forms. True worship is a matter of life and living out before God the kind of existence that he calls for, that he can call worship. And so the question about true worship concerns who you worship. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. And it concerns where your life and heart are as you are worshiping. So we go to have a conversation this morning about true worship. The question is not what do we do on Sunday morning together when we worship. The question is who are we when we get together on Sunday morning and we worship And who do we worship as we worship? Then I want you to notice that this woman, in verses 21 and 23, directs her worship specifically to the Father. Look at your Bibles. You'll notice in verse 21, Jesus says specifically that our worship is to be to the Father in spirit and in truth. And we pass over this. We look over this and act as though that's not really an important part of the verses. We're supposed to worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and we immediately jump to the spirit and truth part and focus there, not so much on the word Father. But the Samaritan woman wouldn't do that for a second. If Jesus says to a Samaritan woman, we are to worship the Father in spirit and truth, she's going to sit up and take notice. And the reason why is because Jews didn't talk about worshiping the Father. The Samaritans didn't talk about worshiping the Father. They talked about worshiping Yahweh. They were talking about worshiping the God who is there, who is above them and beyond them, that they see in the temple and to whom they sacrifice. They don't talk about him as Father. That's a fairly uncommon expression out of the Old Testament, actually, to find the Jews talking about Father. So when Jesus says... The true worshipers will worship the Father. 
that says something to the kind of attitude that they're supposed to have. And I would say we need to have a similar kind of focus. And by the way, it's interesting when you get to verse 26, Jesus makes a point about himself also being Messiah. And I am the one who, the one speaking to you, am he, he says. And so clearly there is a worship here that she is supposed to be involved in, that he calls forth from all of us, where we worship the Father as Father, and then worship Jesus as Messiah. We end up really not being able to separate the two. And of course that's the point. That we worship Jesus for who he is, we worship the Father for who he is, and that characterizes what kind of worship is to be our worship, a true worship. So that's the true part. True worship is the question of who you worship. And then it's a question of who we are when we worship. Is your heart devoted to him? Is your heart true? It's fascinating to me that this woman didn't have a true heart. And Jesus calls her. She wants to talk about worship. But she's concerned about where we worship and what time we worship and on the mountain or in Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, you're in no position to be talking about anything about whether or not your life exemplifies true worship as you worship him. Well, the second part of this, of course, is to worship in spirit. What about that? I want you to notice in the NIV when it talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth that there's actually a small s on the word spirit. It's easy for me to get excited actually about worshiping in the Holy Spirit and want to put a capital S on that. I wish the translators, sometimes I've thought, I wish the translators would put a capital S on that and we worship in spirit and truth as in the Holy Spirit. But the NIV doesn't do that. And there's good reason. The NIV doesn't think actually that right at that point that the author is talking about the Holy Spirit, but instead is talking about the human spirit. And the point is that we need to be worshiping fully ourselves with all of our lives, giving ourselves completely to God. Where we worship in spirit and in truth is when all of us, including our whole spiritual self, is completely given over to Him. That's what it means to worship in spirit and truth. Now that doesn't mean, as we're going to see in just a moment, that the Holy Spirit isn't involved in this. He certainly is. But right now, the point is, when you go to worship God, worship Him with your whole self. And of course, again, that's what she wasn't doing. She wasn't worshiping with her whole self. She was trying to do something that on the surface looked like worship. I'm a Samaritan. We'll worship on Mount Sychar. And Jesus is saying... You want to talk about worship and you want to talk about worship on Mount Sychar and you want to have a controversial discussion about that and yet your life is not in line with what God wants it to be. Your whole self is not completely devoted to him. And that's what he really wants. And so no doubt this morning there is somebody who came here out of some, some sense of obligation you came here because that's what you think you're supposed to do. And it could be that for you to be here this morning and to even take the Lord's Supper this morning is nothing more than you punching your spiritual clock. And what Jesus wants to say to you is, that's not worship in spirit and truth. And he wants you to examine yourself and to ask the question about what it means for you to really worship 
with all of your heart, with all of your life, with all your mind devoted to him, because that's what real spirit worship is. When your whole spirit, all of you, is caught up in giving your life completely to Jesus, that's what he's calling you to do this morning. So we need that combination of spirit, truth, worship, where we give the whole self to God. True worship actually takes place in the course of living out life in connection to God through Jesus and the Spirit. And that's because we do it everywhere, all the time, with the same kind of heart, the same kind of mind. We don't come here with some kind of special heart, some kind of special mind, where for a few moments we have a special time. Instead, what we're experiencing is all together caught up in worship to him. Where you worship is not important because worship takes place anywhere and anytime when the whole self is engaged, when God is constantly thought of as present with us. And that's what he wants. Is God present here this morning? We would all say yes, that we want him to be. But are you... Is your whole heart and life here this morning devoted specifically to Him? And then is this not some kind of aberration or something we do just once a week? But is the devotion you experience right now in His presence with these others, is that what you do always? Is that who you are? are because that's what it means to worship in spirit and in truth I want you to look back at chapter 4 verse 9 for a second I'm going to read these words some of them again because there's another point that needs to be made that's just so rich and so beautiful The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you know, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? This is one of the great ironic questions in the world. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from himself as did also his sons and flocks and herds? Of course, I'd say he's a little bit greater than Jacob. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now I want you to look at chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Think about what we just read. Living water that wells up to eternal life. And look at these words. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. But then he says, by this he meant the Spirit. Well, if Jesus means living water represents the Spirit, In John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39, what do you think it meant back in John chapter 4 when the same expression, living water, is used? 
By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. But now the Spirit has been given. We live in a time of living water. And our worship is to exemplify the presence of living water within us. And so we worship the Father through the true Son, Messiah, with the power and the presence of the living water who is the Spirit. And all of a sudden, John chapter 4, being a text about worship, becomes very Trinitarian-centered, where Father, Son, and Spirit are so part of what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. And it doesn't matter then whether it's a small S or a big S when you get to chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 23 or so, because it's so clear that the Spirit is part of this. And our lives are to represent a constant presence of spirit, of Father, Son, and Spirit, in spiritual worship. That's what life is to be for us. And if life is anything less than that, then it's not spirit and truth worship in which we participate. And we can't come here on Sunday mornings and and do the singing thing and do the Lord's Supper thing and do the preaching thing and the praying thing We can't come here on Sunday mornings and say our worship this morning was in spirit and truth. If for all those other hours, it's not. It doesn't hold together. And we are to worship in spirit and in truth as characteristic of our lives. I want you to turn to John chapter 6. Just flip back a couple of pages and we'll see one other thing that is just astounding to me. Look at verse 30. So they ask him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And the point is, God did these incredible miracles. He proved to us that he is God. What are you going to do, Jesus? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. And all of a sudden, he's not talking about manna. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And of course, just like the woman at the well, they're not getting it. She wanted water, didn't get it. They want bread. They don't get it either. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still you don't believe. Then I want you to look over at verse 46. Start there. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. Then he says in verse 48, I'm the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. 
But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Reasonable question. He said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in him or no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I am in him just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will have the life who will, uh, will live because of me. We've got living water and we have living bread and we have a living father and we are supposed to be filled with this one. He says, you eat me and you drink me and you make me part of who you are. And every cell in your body is supposed to somehow represent who I am and have my presence with you. And when I'm present like that, True spiritual worship is taking place. And that's what God wants from us. And so this morning, living water is our choice. Living bread is our choice. The living Father is our choice. And we have the opportunity to really live and really worship in spirit and in truth because of what the Son has done for us in giving us this opportunity. This morning, I don't know where you're at. It could be that you came here because that's what you do every Sunday. I hope not. I hope not. Instead, I hope That God for you has been present because he's present, I hope, all the time for you. And if he is, then the experience of true worship, spirit worship, can be yours constantly as you are one in him. The question of worship is a question of presence. It's a question of oneness. It's a question of my heart being absolutely, my mind being absolutely, my body and life absolutely being one with Him. And that's when true spiritual worship takes place. We all need that if we're going to live. Let's pray. Lord, we want real life in you. We want your presence to be with us so that real worship takes place. We want our minds and our lives and our behavior and everything to measure up to the vision that we have of who you are because we know that's what truth is and true worship. 
Fill us with your spirit this morning and make this possible that our spirits can be in line and filled with yours. That we can all in unity worship, devoting ourselves collectively as one voice in praise and honor of you as life and worship come together. We pray this through Jesus. Amen.